tough end to 2023 for owner-operator Jay Hostie. With his 2006 Western Star approaching 1.5 million miles in the odometer, knowing full well that going that far and that long without at least an in-frame overhaul was living on borrowed time in some ways, he knew something wasn't quite right. Hard starts with a little white smoke to top them off, rough idling. At certain times, too, it just seemed like the power wasn't there, like he had a fuel filter locking up, he said. A couple months ago, he took the Western Star to his trusted mechanic who took more time with the rig than expected, only to hit a brick wall when he had trouble removing an injector. So he put it back in and Hostie pivoted to go ahead and do what the mechanic felt needed to be done, ultimately. The Western Star now sits at a different diesel specialist shop and waits delivery of the overhaul kit for the 05 built Detroit diesel 60 series engine. With any luck, Hostie will be back in full swing with the truck in good time. It might well represent the longest time he's spent off the road throughout his now more than four decade career. Yet here's the thing about Jay Hostie. At this point, even with the rates challenges of the last year, he can afford it. That is but one reason he has risen to the top of the crowd among contenders for Overdrive's 2023 Trucker of the Year award. That's right. I'm Todd Dills, and for this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, we are indeed making it official. Though the field was crowded and the gap between most of the contenders was extremely small, even tighter between the top three finalists highlighted again earlier this week in Hostie's Jaybird Express, Veterans Transportation Services, and Pulley Express. For a variety of reasons, though, spelled out in what follows, owner-operator Jay Hostie of Diamond Head, Mississippi, will sit atop the crowd as Overdrive's Trucker of the Year for the next 12 months. He'll join us at the Mid-America Trucking Show in a couple months' time, and meanwhile, custom model builder Eston Hoffman up in Pennsylvania is working on what I'm sure will be a particularly faithful scale version of that workhorse 2006 Western Star for what amounts to commemoration of Hostie's achievements, in lieu of your standard type award trophy. If everything goes according to plan, I'm looking forward to presenting it to Jay in person at Matt's. Meantime, Settle in for plenty today from Jay Hostie's history. I'm not saying I knew all my cars to the perfect, but I looked at all of that and, and figured, no, I can make it, you know, and I will make it, and I did. And also some recollections from a couple friends and business associates. Great guy, and I, I couldn't be more, more thrilled for him than I am to get this award. So we're really about people finding their niche, and, and yeah. Jay, for, geez, almost 19 years now, has found his niche. Um, it's kind of funny because I wasn't here, but I, the story with Jay was always he told Jim at his first board meeting that someday he'd be sitting in his seat. That first voice was from one among the folks at the fleet in whose system Husty's been operating for almost 20 years now, Landstar. Greg Nelson, I am the vice president of BCO Retention. Landstar couldn't be prouder uh, of Jay for this, for attaining this award. And Jay is now that, that new generation that, that carries that banner. And it's not just for Landstar, it's it's for, for all owner operators. It's it's for the, the trucking industry. Like you said, that, that fiber make of, of what makes his family his family, that extends itself into his, his trucking business. And so something tells me when, when Jay tells somebody, hey, I'm gonna be there, unless there is a hurricane, Jay will be there. That's Greg Nelson again, and Greg with two G's on the end of it for the record. That hurricane reference he made there, longtime regular readers of Overdrive might recall from news editor Matt Cole's Trucker of the Month profile of Jay Hostier early last year, detailing what Hurricane Katrina did to his home in Gulfport, Mississippi at the time, 
in what he'd hoped would be a million mile truck in a 2000 Detroit powered Western Star talks about in what follows here. Now for that second voice you heard, that of Louis Pugh, current executive vice president of the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, he was delivering what amounted to a bit of apocrypha about Jay Hostie's time on the OIDA board from 1994 to 2010. story with Jay was always he told Jim at his first board meeting that someday he'd be sitting in his seat. <laughs> the longtime now former owner-operator served with Jay Hostie on the association's board for several years before Hostie stepped down after 16 years there. The pair have remained fast friends through the years, though, and what Pew referenced has followed Jay around OOIDA apparently for years. The Jim that Pew referred to is longtime OOIDA founding president Jim Johnston, who passed in 2018. To correct the record, though, Jay Hostie did not tell Jim he'd be taking over for him at some point at his first ever board meeting. Hostie was voted in in the 1990s. Rather, Hostie said this was a joke between two friends, ultimately, that took on a life of its own in later years. In any case, you'll hear a little more from Louis Pugh throughout the podcast. To set the stage for a dive back into Hostie's long history in business as an owner-operator since he was but 19 years old, half of that history pulling containers, the other half a dry van, most recently a 2013 van he's owned since it was new. Hostie detailed current moves toward finally building a custom sleeper to in some ways replace the unit he lost to Katrina. This one will be a 100-inch sleeper addition to the 2022 Daycab Western Star he's purchased and has been sitting on for nearly two years now, biding his time for the right price to get the job done here in 2024 working with Alliance Truck Group out of Indiana. Here's Overdrive Trucker of the Year, Jay Hostie, again out of Diamond Head, Mississippi. Yeah, actually, I was just on the phone with him just a few minutes ago, going over some some details. He's got to send me some uh, different uh, colors to pick for the interior. It's a 100-inch ATG sleeper. Uh, so it's in, in custom sleeper standards, it's really not that big. Just just a little, you know, a little bigger than your, your factory sleepers. Uh, it's going to be set up with the... They call it, I think, a gaucho bed when it folds up against the wall. Okay, but I'm going to do it running it along like the side wall behind the driver's uh, seat along that wall. It'll have the bed folds up against the wall and then the table comes down and you got your <clears throat> little seats on each side. But we're going to shorten the, the mattress a little bit to make room for about a about a two foot wide closet on that on the end of the bed, like right behind the driver's seat. Gotcha. It'll be a, yeah, it'll be a closet there. And that's it on that, on that, that driver's side wall. Then all your, like the kitchen side is on the other, the countertop with a little sink, uh, refrigerator, microwave, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, just the basics. Uh, I mean, I'm not, not living in it or anything, but you know, I'm gonna have it set up where it'll be pretty much self-contained, you know, and then the slit, the uh, shower, will be actually up in that front corner, actually, the, the shower, and then on the passenger side, and then the uh, countertop with the little sink and, and your you know your your uh, other stuff, little countertop, and that'll run all the way to the, basically the back wall, little TV set up in that, in that back corner, a little flat screen in that back corner. That'll face, like, towards the front of the truck. And to top it off, a back door. But I, I've had a back door on 
on actually my first Western Star. I did an 80-inch custom sweeper. Oh, that was back. My first Western Star was a 93, and we had that custom sweeper built up in uh, Penn, uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. There was a company called Star Class, and they've been out of business a long time. But they they built a really nice sweeper. But the really great thing was the price. They were like nearly nearly half the price of the other custom sleeper people at that time. Sure. And yeah, when I when I found them, I just that that was the people I wanted to go with. And anyway, I had basically the same setup in an eighty inch sleeper, and it had the back door. And uh, oh, that would just seem so convenient. Just once you're in the sleeper, it's like why why climb through the cab in between the seats to get out when you got that nice back door just step right out onto the, the, the frame of the truck you know and go go out that way he actually moved that sleeper from the 1993 western star he had it built for to the 2000 model he would eventually lose in katrina when he bought the 2006 he's run for the past 1.5 million miles then the sleeper is a factory sleeper but it's it's a it's a nice setup i mean it's a, the western star has what they call a stratosphere sleeper yeah. and the the best thing about it was you could get up and stand up in the cab and just walk back through. And yeah. I never had that before. Cause you know, the other sleep you had to duck through and now this new one, you'll have to duck through. I got, I kind of got used to that being able to just stand up. And that was, that was a, a nice feature, which I won't have in the, in the brand new one. Among the best things about that Western star 4,900 EX in its stratosphere sleeper though, reliability through the years as it served him for two decades and most of the last 15 years of them without the requisite truck payment. It makes it easier to be able to be picking and choosing, picking about the rates and stuff, pick and choose, because I don't have that truck payment, you know, with me. So it, it, that really just makes it, you know, I mean, I understand a guy who's got 2500 a month. He can't be quite as choosy, you know, because he, he, that's going to be rolling in every month. Matt Cole, in his feature about Hosty early uh, last year, told the story of the owner-operator's early years with what Hosty said were indeed well-used trucks. His first, a 1970 International Gasoline-Powered Unit, purchased when he was just 19 years old in 1981. Likewise, his self-education on counting the costs, knowing the numbers to assess what's worth what when it comes to freight, and equipment investment, and a naturally frugal nature too. That's meant he's been able to make the absolute most of every mile. After the break, we'll dive into some of that history, starting with the story of just how he was able to parlay his own education into something experienced owners hauling containers in the mid-1980s told him he'd never succeed at. Keep tuned. In order to keep your diesel vehicle moving this winter, you need to make sure that you have the products you can trust. Howe's Diesel Treat has long been the number one product on the market to prevent gelling. But what if you forget to treat your fuel and find yourself stuck? Reach for Howe's Diesel Lifeline, the only emergency rescue product available that's 100% alcohol-free, fast-acting, and easy to use. Diesel Lifeline is your security blanket on the road. Visit Howe'sProducts.com. That's H-O-W-E-S. Houseproducts.com. Here's Overdrive Trucker of the Year, Jay Hostie. The third truck was where I really started going over the road. That was a uh, 
uh, the international uh, trans star cable. Okay. Yeah, and I thought I was doing containers, so it wasn't, you know, as much like kind of cross country like I do with Landstar, but but it was containers. But I was going, you know, five hundred, six, seven hundred miles out, stuff like that. Yeah. One thing I, that's always stuck with me, and I, I'll never forget it. Um, when I bought my first new truck, that was a '87 International, um, brand new, never never thought I'd own a new truck that soon but it, it just fell it just felt it just worked out right to trade in on my cab over and the whole deal just worked out and I didn't think that a finance company would take me on at that time as young as I was but but they did it was actually if you remember the old uh, associates finance they sure. they were they were famous for doing commercial vehicles that was their thing associate and uh, anyway they they took me on in the very beginning but when I bought that new truck, I was hauling containers, and <laughs> the rate was only 72 cents per mile. Now this is in 1987, 72 cents per mile, and of course that's loaded and empty. But you you went out one way and came back, you know, vice versa. You 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 wasn't looking for loads. You just you uh it, it yeah. was round trips, right? Right. So, but I I I was uh. Working with all these older fellas, old, much older than me and much more experienced, and most of them that I can remember. I don't know if you go, if you remember a company called Brown Transport. Well, a lot of the old school drivers will remember Brown Transport. They had the little, their emblem was a little picture of a little brown, they called him the Brownie. And he okay. kind of looked like a Robin Hood or something, a little character. But, uh, oh, they were out of, uh, uh, home base, I think, was Atlanta, Georgia, or somewhere in Georgia. I was uh, pulling the empty containers for them when I had my first truck, and then I worked worked my way up through uh, the different trucks and started going over the road. Well, a lot of those guys were had been doing it for many, way, you know, many more years than than me. I would to, to them, they used to call, they used to say, "I'm just a kid." You know, they would say, y- "You're just a kid." Well, compared to them, I was a kid. Yeah. And when they seen that new truck and they started asking me about what my payments were, my payments were, if I'm not mistaken, 1400 a month for five years. They said, you are never going to make it pulling these containers for 72 cents a mile. You are going to have to go over the road. And they meant pretty much go out on the road and stay out for weeks at a time, which is something I didn't want to do. You know, I had a family at home, wife, my wife, didn't want me to do that. Of course, she wanted me to be home as much as I could. So I proved them all wrong, though, because I succeeded. But they they would say, you, you're never going to make it. 72 cents a mile with a truck payment of 1400 a month. But I did the numbers because it's like knowing, I'm not saying I knew all my costs to the perfect, but I looked at all of that and, and figured, no, I can make it, you know, and I will make it. And I did. Of course, diesel was uh, less than a dollar a gallon, which, you know, <laughs> So, but even at that time, I I just said, okay, a dollar a gallon, I was getting usually about five miles to the gallon. So I said, my, my fuel cost is 20 cents a mile, still leaves me with 52 cents a mile. And then, you know, just work it down from there. You found ways to save, uh, sort of beyond what a lot of people think is possible. And one of the things that, that I I was, that was kind of eye opening for me, particularly the last time we talked, um, was uh the the oil change 
the oil change interval that yeah. you were, have been able to achieve uh, for much of the life of that Western Star, it sounded like. Tell us about yep. that, um, if you can go through that a little bit more. When did you start uh, doing oil analysis and extending the drain interval that way? And um, tell us how far you got with it. It all started from when I found uh, Kevin Rutherford on satellite radio. I had never heard okay. of him. started listening to him and things, you know, ideas he had and stuff. And, and I've had an open mind to, you know, try different things. Well, I never did actually. He promoted uh, as a uh, oil filtration system, o- OPS. Yeah, the bypass oil filtration, right? Right, the, right. R- right, right. He he promoted that. I I never did actually buy one of those and get into that because he also said, you, all right, you got to do all analysis. And he said, if you do all analysis and it comes back it comes back good. There's no reason to change that all if you're doing a good oil analysis program. So I kind of thought, well, I'm just going to see what I can. I'm not going to buy the OPS. I'm just going to see how the oil does by just doing, uh, you know, samples. I can't tell you. I'm thinking I was looking at my uh, some of the records I had, and it looks like I've done 30 something samples, I think, at but I do them at I was doing them at twenty thousand miles uh, each sample, and I've got right. like up to thirty something of them. So that's hundreds of thousands of miles that I've that I've been doing that. And as I was telling you, I would do it every twenty thousand miles. I would change the filters, but if the sample came back good, I leave the oil in, and right. I would get I would go one hundred thousand miles on the same oil. And it's not even it's not even synthetic. It is mobile Delvac 1540 straight mineral oil, and at 100,000, the samples usually can't. I don't ever remember them coming back saying they, that the oil needed to be changed. But I would just do it there. I would just say, okay, that that's enough. Felt like I achieved quite a bit to get a hundred five, you know, a hundred thousand miles on the same oil. I did that from with that truck from probably around I'm gonna I'm guess around 2010 is probably when I started doing that and here we are in 24 and yeah it it you know never was an issue now there's been a few times where something came up in you I had some fuel dilution or something and it said um, you could keep the oil or it wasn't bad enough to say change the oil but it would say monitor or or maybe drain two gallons out and add fresh oil or something like that and I'd, I'd, I'd do that. But uh, I think one time I had some coolant in the oil or something, and it came back. Uh, I think that time it came back, changed the oil, and I did. And I, I don't remember what it was, but whatever it was, I, it was okay, and I kept, I kept on kept on going. But uh, that was a you few times. You whatever problem you had, yeah. yeah. Right, right. And that was a right. few times over the years. But I've never, like, done a head gasket or – or anything like an in-frame, and the rods and mains are the original rods and mains from 2000, well, the engine was built in 2005. That's a 60 series Detroit. I have to give kudos to to Detroit, you know, because that's pretty amazing. What's the cost of an analysis, oil analysis? I think it was about $35, $35, Yeah. Versus the oil to change? uh, $300 plus. That's that's quite a lot of money not spent, right? And a lot and a lot of yeah. oil not used. 
Well, now I have to say, as the truck as the truck was getting older, I was adding fresh oil, adding to it because I is burning oil. Yeah. But but nothing nothing extreme. But and you always note that on the oil sample, you it ask uh, oil added, and you, you'd always put that because they would make I guess adjustments for adding fresh oil. But even even before I brought it into the shop, it 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 wasn't using from what I can remember, it wasn't using oil at a, at any alarming rate. I mean, it was probably getting yeah. to where where they would have said, okay, it's time to start looking at doing an overhaul. But um, yeah, it was. And the more fresh oil you put in there, really, the the better you you you're building up the base of the oil when you put fresh oil in. That was saving me money, but I also was doing it just as my own personal test just to see you know how how it would work and that's why i said when i when i always said when i got to a hundred thousand uh yeah it might have been able to keep going but i would just say okay that's going to be a, a nice even round number and i'll just stop there but yeah. yeah but of course it it did in the long run save me money but that wasn't my my just my main purpose there Husty pushed the envelope there to see just what's possible without the added investment in the bypass system, which admittedly has produced for some owner-operators twice that 100,000-mile full-drain interval, with analysis, as Husty knows. Yet, thinking outside the box, with a desire to run the experiment and find the answers himself, it's a motivational force that close associate Louis Pugh sees in many an owner-operator, and Husty's got that in spades, particularly when the opportunity to boost income is a possible end result. Jay loves trucking. I mean, he's like me and most owner-operators and truck drivers. He loves the industry. He loves the business. He's a good steward of the industry and a good steward of the business. Um, he learned a long, long time ago that, you know, you've got – it isn't about how many miles you run. It's about how much the money is per mile, and which is good. Unfortunately, some folks have never learned that. And and But he's – you know, and how to make the business and the best work for him – he will tell you, I'm sure, that just like Landstar, he's been there a long, long time now, just like I was, but he found a home there. And one, because they treated him right, but he learned how to work the system and make it work for him and make them work for him, which is what you have to do as an owner-operator, especially if you're going to be, whether you're going to be leased to a customer or have your authority, you have to learn how to make it all work for you. We in this industry sometimes get too busy pointing to one another about you should do it this way or that way. What you should do is what's best for you. And that's what I sure. try to tell people. Here's some guides you can always follow. And I think Jay would agree with this. There's certain things you should follow in this industry. But at the end of the day, it's what works for you and your family to, and what yep. you need and what makes you successful. And Jay has followed that through and through. To that point. Before Jay Hostie got to 100,000-mile intervals, he was already extending his drains based on improved fuel mileage performance, itself a result of sticking to the right lane at a cruise speed of below 60 miles per hour. Practice he continues to this day. Okay, Detroit, in the owner's manual back then for this truck, said 15,000. Okay. But then, but then when you talk to experts about oil changes and stuff, think people that have been in the industry with engines, and, and it's the truth, they say, your oil change really should be based on your fuel consumption. Mm. The better fuel mileage you get, the longer you can extend that oil, is what they say. Okay. And I I started going from fifteen to twenty thousand on my own because I was getting better fuel mileage. I was I was I went from 
less than six to seven miles per gallon because I, I also slow down my down. driving. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Right. So to me, that said, okay, I don't need to change that 15. I'm going to run that up to 20. So I started doing that before I started doing the oil analysis stuff. Before all of that, Husty continued to pull containers up to the time he moved into the Landstar system. Yet another shift that hinged on his forward-looking vision of the fashion. Just prior to that move, he spent five years leased to a small fleet in his area of southern Mississippi before Katrina. Landstar, 19 years. Um, okay. Last year, made 19. I'm in my 20th, I guess you'd say. Um, okay. Before them. I had a neighbor of mine who had his own authority who got in the trucking through me because when he moved, I was already living in the community. He moved across the street from me and I was uh, in trucking and he was doing uh, industrial painting or something. He was getting burnt out on it. So he started talking to me and learning about trucking. Anyway, long story. He got his own authority. We had a, a port in Burlington, Mississippi, uh, Port Bienville it's called. And there was a company out there uh, um, Linear Peninsula was the name of the company that shipped containers to Mexico okay. and and he used the, he is the owner of the company it was one man owned the shipping company he owned I think six ships they were small ships when you consider container ships they were considered smaller but all he did was uh, ship stuff to Mexico and back um, Progreso Progreso Mexico so anyway, my, we lived in this community very close to the port, and my friend got his own authority. There was already other people out there hauling for them, but they would take on as business, as they had more business, they were taking on more companies. Well, my friend got his own authority, and I leased to him for uh, about five and a half years okay. to, to him, yeah, because he, he went and got the authority. And he, at one time, I think he owned two or three trucks, and he had a couple of us leased to him. And even at that time, we were running for, I think it was a uh, dollar a mile, I think is what. Wow. I think that was the. I think that was the gross. He paid us ninety percent. That's what it was. The the company paid him a dollar a mile for all miles, and we we got ninety percent of that, and he um, we did he covers our insurance and all the you know just we were leased to him so he covered the yep. insurance and everything, yeah. And then we would get a nickel a mile fuel surcharge. I remember that was the most we ever got. But this was even then fuel dollar, I think dollar thirty, dollar forty, dollar fifty. And he would give us a nickel a mile fuel surcharge. And boy, that was, changed fast after. after yeah. That did not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005 and wiped that whole operation out. The whole oh, thing wow. at the port. Yeah. And and they ended up moving their operations to Panama City Beach, Florida, to the uh, to the port over there. And yeah, a few of the guys were working for him even over there, was trying to make it work. Um, but I had left before Katrina. I started with Landstar in 2000 and 2005. I knew about Landstar for years. I had considered them way back one time, and I talked to a guy, an owner operator, and he said, yeah, you do what you want. But this was before they had the, you were like really dispatching yourself and all. It was, you. I mean, you did, you called the agents and all, but it, it wasn't as kind of as open as it is now. Anyway, back then he, he said it would be, it would be tough to get home as much as you want to get home. You know, you'd have to kind of get out in the system and run a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, 
didn't I passed on it at that time. But as time went by, um, it was it was starting to kind of strain me and my my buddy's relationship because if you think about it, we were friends before I leased to him. He didn't just get his own authority right away. He did he was leased to some companies and did some other things and then decided to go and work at the port. But um, it's hard for friends to work together. I mean, it, it can really push push stuff. You know, just people are different and and. His wife was basically our dispatcher. He was on a truck. I mean, he drove, but it was still his, him and his wife's company. And yeah, and it, it, sometimes they'd want me to do something I didn't want to do, take a load here. When I said, I'm really, I don't feel like going, I need you to go, you know, you got to go. So I started feeling like I was getting pushed sometimes and didn't didn't maybe have the, the freedom that I would like to have. And it was kind of pushing our relationship a little bit because we were bumping heads basically. Right. Right. And, and I just started looking at Landstar and thinking maybe this is a way to go. Cause you, and I talked to guys and by that time they were, they were more getting di- dispatches over the, fo- well on the computer. And, and I, and, and I had a guy show me a load board on the computer and, and show me exactly how it works. And I said, Oh, that's pretty neat. I said, and you just pick what you want. He said, yeah, yeah. If you don't want it, you don't take it, but yeah, here it is. And, and he showed me all that, and I said, oh, that's pretty interesting. So that's kind of how I made the switch to him. So it was like once they got that, uh, once they had that technology piece in there um, and, and you had some visibility into it, you sort of realized the potential there for just that kind of operational flexibility and freedom, I guess. In, right. In a, in, a, in a system where you're still you're leased to somebody, you don't have to go out and get your own authority and do all that. But, yeah. Right, right. And and I think it wasn't just about money. I mean, of course, yeah. money is, is, is a good thing to make as much as you can. But but I just seen the freedom to, to, you know, like that guy told me, he said, if you don't want to take a load, you don't take it. If you want to take it, you call and this is a Landstar agent and you you book the load with him. And, yeah. at you know, at that time, let's see, um, 20, I had been trucking for, let's say, about 22 years. So I wasn't new. And I yep. had done a lot of different things, and I just figured, well, then make, maybe make a little change here and, and see how it goes. Two decades of self-dispatch on, it's clearly been a good fit for him. Most, most people, and I'm sure Jay would, would, uh, would agree with this. Landstar Vice President Greg Nelson. BCOs are, or independent contractors that come to Landstar are looking for two things. They're looking for freedom and they're looking for opportunity. And the load board, when he saw that for the first time, which it's come a long way since then, you know, with technology, uh, increases in technology and and uh, uh, he saw opportunity on the freight board. And then of course, they, they pick and choose when they run, how they run, where they want to run. Um, right. And that that's the freedom. Um, So, uh, yeah, we do see that replicated in a lot of our owner operators and that's great. Uh, but, but it's not easy. Um, there are folks that struggle with that. They come here in that first year is a struggle because they're used to having someone tell them, Hey, pick up here and deliver here and have it here by then. Um, but yeah, that, that is the Landstar story. And, and thankfully that's Jay Hostie's story because he certainly, uh, he fits that bill perfectly. When Louis Pugh joined OIDA's board of directors in 2004, Jay had already been there for a decade. Hostie traces his initial involvement back to the late 1980s, 
and he became a member and made an active pursuit of letting leadership know what he thought about issues. All right, I've been a member since 89 with okay. OIDA, and I used to call in about stuff, different things, you know, I'd read in the magazine and all, and I want to say it was Todd Spencer asked me if I'd be interested in being a board member. I never met him or anything. It was just because I'd call in and, and question yeah. stuff or just give my opinion on something, not yeah. saying it was good, it was good. <laughs> but anyway, he asked right. me if I was interested in being on the board of directors and I was like blown away. I was, uh, that was 1994. So I was 30, 32 years old. And I said, sure, you know, but yeah. I was thinking, I wasn't really expecting to actually for it to work out. You know, I, I figured out they think I was too young, especially when I got there, everybody seemed a lot older than me. And I thought, Oh man, what am I doing? You know, but right, right. I guess, I guess they, they saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself. And first and foremost, Jay's one of the nicest people I've ever had to meet. Um, very honest, very straightforward, trusting person. Um, you know, he's a very good follower of God, and that's good and as well. And I, I'm proud to have him as a friend. He was, I felt like I, I'm, like I said, I met Jay the first time here at a board meeting. We became friends pretty quickly, actually. And we'd get him and his wife and myself and some other people here. We'd go to dinner and do some things on our own together. So, and right. kept in touch. And then Jay and I working at Landstar even though we did completely different things and we're halfway across America from each other, we still kind of kept in touch with each other that way as well. Okay. Um, he, he was leased to Landstar when he oh, came he was. on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and I was leased to Landstar. So that's, I leased to Landstar in 04. So okay. it was after that, that he came on. I had been there. I'm going to say, uh, well, I had been on the board of directors for quite a while. Yeah. 12 years, but he came on and I remember him, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was he had the uh, load alert on his phone, and I wasn't doing that yet. And he showed me that, and I said, wow, that, that's pretty neat. And uh, he was showing me how it worked and all. And, and then I also, I also remember uh, he had been with Landstar before me, in other words. I'd been okay. on the board of directors before him, but he had been with Landstar uh, years before me. And man, without he he told me some of the the kind of money he was making in a year, and it blew me away because I wasn't any, anywhere close to that. But he just had some really good contacts, a uh, good a uh, good well, really it was one solid agent that he had that used to run him, and he would tell me some of the money. And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And he said, "No, man, I'm telling you." And 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 he was, and I ended up linking up with that agent, uh, just I think just last year. And started using her, and she still has the really good rates. And uh, okay. it's the same. The same. It was. It's actually the uh, the agent that he was dealing with. That was the mother, which she's still alive, but her daughter is kind of taking over the agency now. And I, I was dealing with the daughter. Um, I think it was a great loss to our board when Jay stepped down. But I do respect the fact that he felt that he had done all he could do here, and it was time for him to step down and let other people take his place and bring some new blood in new ideas so i mean there's yeah. a lot to be said for a man who can say that and admit that i asked jay hostie just why he left that involvement with the association by 2010 he said the year he moved on his mind was elsewhere essentially on his own business 
politics of it all, holding less and less interest, the more indeed political the work of advocacy felt to him by then. He felt like they needed space for new blood. Nonetheless, he clearly values the friendships he made through the experience, and Louis Pugh's recollections make that clear too, no doubt. Through it all, meticulous approach to oil analysis, filter changes, cost control, advocacy, and more, Greg Nelson looks at the record of Jay Hosty and finds this central through line. I mean, number one is yeah. Jay is, is safe. He, he's a safe BCO. He operates uh, with the general motoring public in mind. He operates with uh, his uh, vehicle and, and his uh, livelihood on the line every day. And, uh, and, you know, that's that shows with his safety awards, with his million mile status. All of that is uh, is just a reflection of, of probably the base that he's built his business on. And then secondly, you know, especially uh, especially in this day and age, there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of tension and there's, you know, there's viral videos and there's there's all these things going on that just have our attention, that negative news cycle. And Jay's just easy going. He just he just takes it as it comes. He processes it and then he moves forward. Tusty and his wife, Kat, have fostered more than 100 children now over nearly four decades. Jay's been a relief volunteer with the Eight Days of Hope organization a couple different times recently, paying it forward after the assistance that his own family received during the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. The decades-long commitment to foster parenting shows a commitment to others that's certainly an uncommon quality among most of us. But for Hossie, it's just a fact at this point that he's felt called to bring into reality. As noted, it's been such. Over 35 years, yeah, it's been a, yeah. we've been doing it a long time. We have a foster child living with us right now as we speak. In this case, the mom and the dad just got out of line somehow. I don't, I don't think there was any, any, any drug type thing, which is a lot of the cases, but I think okay. uh, some, somehow they, they lost their, the little girl, but they're trying to get her back. They have steps they have to go through with the state Gotcha. And like she, she's getting weekly visits right now, or by uh, maybe every other week visits with her mom and dad. And and the goal is to get her back to her parents. But in a lot of cases, uh, well, we've adopted like six kids because they wasn't getting back to their parents. It was just a, a messed up situation where the, they terminate the parents' rights, and that's how we ended up adopting kids. Uh, to to your um, the, the the children you've adopted are still uh, living that with you guys at the house. The rest are grown up. Actually, just one now. Just one. I got a okay. fourteen fourteen year old. Yeah, but I, I, I call them I call them round one and round two because uh, <laughs> round one they got out and I figured we were over. But uh, God God had different plans, so we started round two. <laughs> And I'm at that's the 14-year-old. I got an 19-year-old eight, eight, uh, that's in college and actually is engaged to get married this coming year. She, okay. So we had those, those two at home earlier this year, but the one is in college. She moved out. Okay. So we're down to one. Yeah. But we still we have the little foster child that's 10 years old that's with us right now also. Okay. Get any of the, the folks you've um, adopted or, or fostered take uh, take any inspiration from you and get it out and struck them? Not a one of them. <laughs> not, not, and, and not, of, not because of me. My uh, 
first son that we adopted, he rode in the truck with me um, yeah. when he was, out, you know, summers, and he just never really liked it. He, he I remember him saying, Dad, you, your job is so boring, you know? <laughs> and, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and and I even told him, I said, if you wanted to get into this, when you get older, I will help you. I will yeah. help you get into it, you know? And he never, and, and now, now as a, uh, what is he, 36 years old, he says, I wish I would have got in the truck and, you know, way back then. And I said, well, you didn't, you said it was boring. You didn't want to do it. I know. I don't think it's that he's, he had a, he, he didn't have a love for it or anything. He's saying it now because he wishes he was a little more stable into something. I guess yeah. he looks at me and says, I wish I was like you had a, a career like that all my life. Cause he, he doesn't really have a set career. He kind of jumps around. I've always taught him. I've always told all my kids, you know, I, I don't want you to do, um, uh, trucking because of me or anything if you want to I said the main thing is do something you enjoy find something you like to do and then do your best at it and getting paid for it is a blessing to do something you enjoy doing and that's that's what I've tried to push them to do you know just do something you like don't 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 have to go to work every day and, and hate it you know I've told a, a friend of mine that plays the lottery every, every uh well he used to play play it weekly I don't know if he does anymore but I've always He's, he's always said, you know, if I win the lottery and it's millions of dollars, I, I'm going to give you all a million. I said, and he, he would say, so you can stop driving that truck and be on the road. I said, you can give me a million, but I'm still going to drive because I like it. You know, it ain't about yeah. the money as much. I, I like doing it, you know. Yeah. Part of the big sleeper is my wife is finally starting to say she'd like to do a little traveling. Yeah. And and as we, as we work uh, kids out of the house, that can be possible. So that was part of the reason of uh, wanting to do a bigger sleeper. Besides, I just like the way they look. But um, and if she gets on the road with me, we're gonna we're just gonna enjoy it a little more. She she won't be um, a certified driver or anything. She's not not looking to do that. We're not looking to run it as a team. Just you know, take her places that she's never seen. Some a lot of places that I've never seen besides passing by the exit. You know, and. And uh, just enjoy it a little more, but still run, still be leased to Landstar. And, and anyway, just make it an uh, uh, enjoyable uh, deal for the last years, the later years. Getting underway as we speak, it sounds like. Here's the best of luck on the end frame. I'm a sleeper conversion for the 2022 day cab and a big congrats to Trucker of the Year, Jay Hostie, and all the owners right there with him in the 2023 competition. Find profiles of everyone, likewise podcast roundtables with most published just last month via overdriveonline.com slash trucker hyphen of hyphen the hyphen year. It's a mouthful. Overdriveonline.com trucker of the year. Truly a joy to meet everyone involved and please look for us at Matt's this year. I'm certain Jay Hostie would love to shake your hand, as would I. Find least to where you can nominate an exemplary owner, your own business too, for the 2024 Trucker of the Year program via the show notes wherever you're listening. Overdrive Radio is on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Tune in most any platform. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying these, give us a rating or review there. Thanks in advance for it. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker songwriter Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man 
by Marv, featuring the guitar work of Travis, the snake man himself, Lamic, Terry Tussox, Richardson on bass, keys by Tishomingo, Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Andrew Marshall. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor, Matt Cole, executive editor, Alex Lockie, and video editors, Lawson Richardson and Andrew Gwynn. See you next time. You can give me a million, but I'm still going to drive because I like it. You know, it ain't about yeah. the money as much. I, I like doing it, you know? Yeah.